0: really try to focus on a few things that you really want you want to be really, really good at. The, the, the default ends up being just okay at a lot of different stuff uh, just because there's so many choices.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Rally and Engage presented by Cosvox. I'm Noah Barnett, the growth marketing lead here at Cosvox, and today we have the opportunity to talk with Kivi LaRae Miller. She is the president of NonprofitMarketingGuide.com, which provides tips, training, and resources to nonprofit marketers and communications teams. During our conversation, we talk all about the insights in Kiwi's newly released 2017 Nonprofit Communications Trends Report. In this report, Kiwi and our team tackle questions like, what do most nonprofit communications teams really look like? What separates effective teams from the less effective ones? Are we really making progress on well-known challenges in the nonprofit field? And plenty more. Let's dive into our conversation with Kiwi. Hey Kiwi, welcome back to the podcast.
0: Hey Noah, how are you?
1: It's great. It's great to have you back. Uh, it's a new year and I know a lot of nonprofits we talk to are excited about the new year. A little nervous, like always, just not sure yeah. you know how to approach the new year or what challenges that they're gonna have to face. But that's really why we wanted to bring you back to the podcast to really get your insights as you know, we together, our audience, look ahead uh, to the future. But before we do that, I would I, for those that don't know who you are, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself, but then also talk about what you do.
0: Sure. So I'm the founder and CEO of Nonprofit Marketing Guide, and we are really all about helping communications directors at nonprofits both learn their job and love their job. So we do a lot of training and coaching, and we also try to provide a community for communications directors because we found that a lot of people feel like they're really alone in this work. A lot of them are the first full-time communications director, or they're a one-person team, and it can be a struggle and I know that very well because that's what I did before I founded Nonprofit Marketing Guide. I started as a copywriter for nonprofits because I've always liked to write and that really grew into a broader, more crazy really kind of position with a lot of different organizations where I was doing all their communications, um, their website, their PR and then social media and uh, it's a lot of work and it can be really overwhelming for people. So I don't do direct consulting as much anymore, but we're really all about helping people that are in that position really, like I said, learn the job and love it and stay in the field.
1: Yeah, and that's a huge thing we hear here at Cosvox as well, is just this idea of feeling alone. So when you really invite those conversations or they can be a part of a community like the one you guys have created at nonprofitmarketingguide.com, uh, it's such like a, a comfort to them because you know we get emails, I get emails almost every day that says, hey, I stepped into a new role, I'm the only one that's doing fundraising, I was tasked with this, I don't come from fundraising, mm-hmm. what do I do? You know, because we always ask, like, how can we help? And they're like, just remind me that I'm not alone in this fight. And I think that's something you guys do tremendously well. And we're so grateful for how you guys have contributed. And you, you know, you've been doing this for a really long time. And really that was why we wanted to bring you on as again, we look towards 2017 and really identify, you know, the the challenges that nonprofit communicators and fundraisers face but also the opportunities, the excitement. And so you, you, guys, uh, you guys release kind of a trends report every year. Um, and I, I wanted to bring you on to really talk through that uh, and kind of share some insights with our audience as it relates to that trends report.
0: Sure. So we've been doing it. This is our seventh year. And for the past six years, we've really focused on, okay, well, what's everybody else doing? Right? Because that's what a lot of people want to know. They want to know, well, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? What's everyone else doing?
1: Exactly. So the, Everyone's the, looking the, for an example. <laughs> How right, should I be right. doing it? Right,
0: right. And to be able to really take it to their executive director or board and to say, hey, this is this is normal. Like this thing I'm asking you to do is not completely out of line, like other people are doing this too. So we wanted to provide that data and that's what we really did the last six years. We have very consistent data about how, which channels communications um, departments use, which channels fundraisers use, how those are updated, really the very tactical trends and information. And it's very consistent from year to year. So it doesn't, change that much and so honestly the trends report was getting a little boring. Mm -hmm. And so what I decided to do this year was to really dump all of those questions and to ask a bunch of questions that get to answers that I don't have to questions I get all the time. And I think we're going to do sort of an every other year approach where every other year we'll ask those tactical questions about which channels are you using, how often are you updating them, what kind of content are you putting out in them. And then in the other years, like this year, we'll ask some of those bigger questions that people are really puzzled about.
1: Yeah. And I think what was interesting is we talked earlier, um, in or last year in 2016, about the trends report. And I was actually surprised to hear kind of how consistent it has been over the years. And so when I saw that you guys you made a change this year, I was like, you know, that it almost is reassuring because I think last year when we talked, we talked a lot of about, you know, all these new platforms are coming out. The world is changing. How we communicate is changing. And you were like, well, not really. Like how, the key channels are still the same. The ones that are the most valuable are the same. You know, the shiny new objects are good to tap into, but not to get distracted or in spite of some of these core channels. And so when you switch this year's trends report, it kind of reminded me of that that conversation we had where like, you know, fundraising and communication is still through the same type of channels. There's lots of change going on, but they're staying consistent. And so, you know, this year we explored a few different questions. You talk about questions you didn't have the answers to. So could you share with our listeners some of the findings that stood out or some of the questions and why you asked them and then what you found from those
0: uh, from the report? Sure. So we get a ton of questions about the team. How big should it be? What should these people be doing? Um, You know, how does what an arts organization's communications team look like? How would that differ from an organization that runs a homeless shelter or from an organization that's doing research on a rare disease? So we really tried to dive in to a bunch of those questions. And um, some of the information on the the staffing size of the teams I thought was really interesting. Um, So I'd love to talk about that for a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Dive in. It's something we get asked all the time, especially when it comes to specific types of organizations, because there is kind of that that comparison mind still where it's, you know, well, I know that's what, you know, international relief organizations do, but like I'm an arts organization. So what about arts organizations? So yeah, what did you find out across kind of the various types of teams and how it differs?
0: Well, when you look at the size, like how big should the staff be of a communications team? And what we found is this sort of interesting uh, inverse relationship between the percentage of the overall staff that should be on communications and the total number of full-time people. So, for example, if you're an organization that's under a million dollars in overall size, the percent of people... Um, that are on communications from your overall team is going to be pretty high. It's going to be somewhere between 20 and 30 percent typically. But when you start to grow as an organization and you get over a million into the 5, 10, 20 million, that percentage really plummets to 4 or 5 percent of your over staff, overall staff would be on your communications team. And I think that's what that's telling us it makes perfect sense when you think about it. There are some really core communications responsibilities that all nonprofits, regardless of size, need to make sure are covered. You need to have a website. You need to use email. You need to be on social media. And once you get those things covered, the sort of overall growth of the team can slow down a little bit. But you do really need to invest. And we found that Three people is actually sort of what I would call the the sweet spot for both the effectiveness of the team and just your, your ability to really get things done and to implement a lot of the best practices that organizations like mine and yours talk about all the time.
1: Yeah. So when you say three, are you, do you mean that's kind of like the minimum viable team or is that, you know, regardless of how big your organization is? Three is is kind of the ideal number. Can you ta- can you explain that a little bit further?
0: Yeah, so it's definitely not the minimum. Um, it, it's it's it, three is sort of at the point where you sort of reach this level of effectiveness and maturity. And we asked a lot of questions this year throughout the report to try to get at what communications effectiveness looks like. And on all of those measures, it really lined up that three is where you. You know, up until then, you're dramatically increasing and then it starts to kind of level off a little bit. So I would really encourage all nonprofits, if you don't have at least three full-time FTE on your communications team, to really work towards that because you're going to see really big jumps in the effectiveness of the team. And at that point, you know, it's not like effectiveness goes down after three, but it, it starts to level off a little bit.
1: Absolutely, and that that kind of makes sense. Thanks for clearing that up. Is there are like so? Let's say I'm you know I'm a kind of an executive director. I'm thinking about communications, and I'm like, man, three. It's a great you know. I never thought about that way. What are those? But like, what are those three people doing? So what's kind of like? Is it specialists or still three generalists? How did you guys? Where did kind of the trends come out on that?
0: Well, I think we still see kind of a mixing and matching depending on the actual organization. But very generally, I would say that there's usually one person that's sort of the more strategic kind of traffic cop with all the communications channels and all of the other staff. You've got program staff and raising staff asking for stuff to go out. And so you need one person that's really managing the editorial calendar and kind of keeping all that in motion. You often have one person who's a really good writer and can churn out lots of copy for lots of different channels. And again, you've got to repurpose the, that material because what you put on your website is not going to be the exact same thing that goes out in a tweet. And then there's often someone that is more, a little more sort of visually oriented, doesn't have to be a graphic designer necessarily, but someone who's really good at creating that visual content, whether it's you know photos for Instagram or other social media channels, laying out a, an email newsletter so that the graphics look good you know, working with printers if you're doing direct mail, that sort of thing. So, you really, you, you have to have the, the planning, the writing, and the design all together. Um, and one person can pull that off, but it's really, really hard. And, you know, they're not going to be as good at any, any one skill. Whereas if you start to get a few more people on staff, that's, like I said, where the effectiveness comes in because people can really kind of grow into those skills.
1: And I love that differentiation between the roles because it's, it's a really great kind of handle for our listeners to say, you know, maybe they're, they're a communications professional and they're building a team or they're thinking about adding people, they can really say, you know, which of those three roles do maybe I have strengths in? And it doesn't always have as the leader or the manager, it doesn't always have to be kind of the strategic management one, um, but rather kind of identifies the holes that you might want to add to your team first. And I think some of that is really helpful versus just looking at roles. Like, oh, I need a right. communications manager, or I need a you know, graphic designer, or I need this and that. And when you start adding, all that, adding up that list, you're like, there's no way my board's gonna approve this. There's no way we're gonna be able to do this. Well, I guess we'll just get by. But when you kind of look at it from that three-person angle with different types of skills and being a little bit more generalist in each of those categories, that's really achievable for a lot of nonprofits, and I think easier to swallow for kind of a board that might be approving those budget allocation. If you can explain it in that way where they can really meet a lot of needs and not just so specific needs for your organization.
0: Yeah, we we specifically asked people and kind of an open-ended question, if, if you were gonna get one new person on your communications team, what would that person do? And we let people fill that in in their own words, but then we went through and tried to categorize it. And the number one answer was help with social media, creating content, posting it, posting it, managing conversations. And then after that was graphic design and more general content creation.
1: Yeah, and that, that's really interesting. So I, I when I was in a nonprofit for six or so years, I was much more on like the analytical kind of marketing side of the fundraising and communications that we did. Um, And on the communications, I was much more kind of the creative, story-driven, very production-focused. And I I thought it was interesting when I was looking at your data, I saw that, where, you know, those would be the first people they would hire. But I also saw that from a best practices standpoint, they measured themselves, or they ranked themselves lowest on establishing key performance indicators. (laughs) Why do you you think there's a discrepancy there? You know, we need more people producing social media but we're not even necessarily identifying the best way to measure our production. Any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, and you know, that's one of the things we tried to dive into in the report a little bit. Um, one of the challenges with communications work is that the KPIs or, you know, how you're measuring your effectiveness are pretty complicated and diverse depending on exactly what your goal is and what you're trying to do. You know, it's it's not as clean cut as fundraising where you've either raised the money or you haven't. Uh, When when you've got goals like engagement, um, thought leadership, um, Branding. (laughs) Branding, right. I mean, those things can be measured, but it's extremely expensive and time-consuming to do so. And so for a lot of nonprofits, it's just not even in the cards at all. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, what are really... Honestly, the indicators, it's not an, an actual measure of concrete progress necessarily, but an indicator of that effectiveness. And so, like I said, we've, we tried to do that in a couple of different ways in the report. We asked people to just give themselves a ranking on a five-star scale. Um, you know, how many stars would you give yourself? And the, the average was 3.3, which is between somewhat effective and very effective, And then we compared that to what I would consider a little more of a quantitative assessment. We asked people 10 different questions that I believe are based on best practices. Things like you mentioned, like, are you measuring? And are you um, using an editorial calendar? And do you segment your email list? And we had people rank themselves on that scale. And what I found is that the two matched up pretty well. You know, What I would consider is judging someone from the outside based on their implementation of best practices actually lined up pretty well with how people um, ranked themselves on that five-star scale. So I think nonprofits are being pretty honest with themselves uh, about that. So that was encouraging.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think measurement, especially on the communication side, has always been a kind of complicated topic, one that's hard to nail down. And one that, you know, kind of is, like you said, it's it's vague, it's anecdot- like, it, it, it kind of, you don't know exactly. So kind of ignoring it, you know, and really focusing on best practices can be kind of the best step forward. Um, and so it's interesting how that kind of lines up. But to kind of switching gears a little bit from really how people, uh, like what people are doing or what people want, or kind of the, the number... Of people on your team, there was another point you guys dove into, which was about kind of the organizational structure of the communications <laughs> team, and not you know the most sexy topic, but really interesting from kind of like you know the cultural makeup of a communications team actually impacts their effectiveness. So, could you dive into what you guys found there and uh, some of the insights that kind of comes kind of came along with the, those four buckets that you guys indicated?
0: Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is not the sexiest stuff, but if you are a communications and fundraising geek, you will love it. <laughs> so I think
1: to uh, culture, even if you bucket in, like culture is a big topic, and I think some of this even relates back to like the cultural makeup of the communications team. Yes. So I think if it maybe it needs some branding of its own, but organizational theory or organizational structure is probably not the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, but it's but it's really kind of compelling when you dive into it. So, um, you know, through the course of our consulting, work and working with communications directors all these years, we've seen that their work is structured in different ways. And the the way that we sort of pose this question is, how does the workload get created? So who gets to really create the to-do list for the communications team? I didn't want to talk about org charts, because we know that's kind of a joke, (laughs) In the nonprofit world, yes. um, so you know, I didn't want to say who do you actually report to, you know, whatever. So I said, okay, how does the how does the to do list actually get created? And we posed a, a couple of different, I think five or six different um, ways that that happens that we've just sort of seen anecdotally in our consulting work. And it turns out that seventy five percent of nonprofits picked one of these four models, and that four models were pretty evenly distributed across the sector, so 18 to 20 percent each. And then we looked at, okay, well, what are all the differences with all the different questions we asked uh, in the trends report related to these four teams? And it was really interesting that two of the four are much more effective on any measure within the report. And one of them is very focused on fundraising and the other one is not necessarily focused on fundraising. And, you know, over the last year or two, we've really seen that uh, whether the team is responsible for fundraising or not has a huge impact on their work and their focus and what they really do. And so to really get this data to sort of back all that up for a decision-making framework for nonprofits, um, I think is really nice new data for people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would love for you to kind of briefly explain the four of them, but then maybe dive into the two that you guys felt stood out as far as effectiveness.
0: Right. So the first one, the first two that are the most effective are the integrated and centralized teams is what I'm calling them. So with the integrated team, what you have is communications and fundraising staff working together jointly and making joint decisions about communications. So it it truly is integrated and those teams do tend to prioritize fundraising more than any of the other teams. It's also the most collaborative model. We asked a lot of questions in the trends report about the level of collaboration between communications program and fundraising staff. And by far, that was the most collaborative model. So that's the one that we really uh, recommend people use if they see their fundraising strategy as needing a lot of communication support and most of them would, then we now really recommend this integrated approach. And on, second, the, on that one,
1: just for yeah, sure. organizational structure, uh, a little bit, like is so would the director of fundraising and director of communications or director of development, director of communications be the same person? Or were those two people just collaborating well? Have you guys did you guys get any insights into that?
0: It it could go either way. But generally speaking, I think there's one manager or one small team of managers that are really overseeing group work where you have a communications, communications experts and the fundraising experts really working very closely together, even though they may have some goals that don't overlap, you know, that, that the communications people still may be doing some community engagement that's really about the issues that the organization is working on or advocacy that's not directly related to fundraising, but they're still doing it in a way that's very collaborative and everyone understands all of the communications and fundraising goals instead of being more siloed.
1: Very interesting.
0: With the centralized team, it is more siloed in the sense that the communications team is, is separate typically from the fundraising team, but it can also be an extremely effective and uh, sort of mature team. And again, this comes into play because not all communications departments do individual fundraising, not all nonprofits do individual fundraising. A lot of nonprofits are relying on a relatively small number of funders who are offering them grants, or they're funded by program fees, or maybe a few major donors, where they, you know, they don't have thousands of donors. And so in those kinds of situations, you can have sort of that separate but equal development department and communications department, and still end up having really effective communications.
1: Yeah, and you dive into that a little bit more in the report. So if anyone's listening to this and is kind of like, oh, wow, like that's really interesting, maybe w- trying to identify where you guys fall in your organization and maybe where you want to go and how to navigate that transition, uh, we'll include a link to the full report for you to go download um, from a nonprofit marketing guide in the show notes of the episode. So if you're really curious to dive into this and want to kind of geek out even further than Kibi and I were able to do, you definitely can download that um, in the show notes below. Uh, But before we go, it's kind of touching on those last two. So what are the ones that you guys found like as least effective?
0: So the other two are the internal agency and the CEO led team. And I don't want to leave people with the impression that those can never work but the odds of them working I think are much lower so it's it's much more difficult to get really great work done in those structures with the internal agency that's more you, you really find this in much much larger organizations and it tends to be people who are kind of on call to help other people outside the team so a program director or usually multiple program directors, as well as multiple people on a fundraising team would call upon this team and basically give them their marching orders to create content. Mm. You also have in these situations, this is usually where the brand manager lives in a really big nonprofit. So these people tend to be really good at what they do. They're, they're great graphic designers, great writers, but they're not in charge of any kind of strategy. And so what you're really hoping is that all of these different program people and fundraisers who are giving the internal agency folks their workload are talking together and making those strategic decisions. Unfortunately, that's usually not the case. And so you end up having pretty confusing messaging and these teams generally are not very happy. We also looked at staff satisfaction and job satisfaction in uh, the rankings, and it was much lower for internal agency teams.
1: Did you see um, that same, I I guess, did you get any indication that if you run an external agency model where maybe you just have a fundraiser, fundraising team that's always outsourcing stuff to an agency, would you see that same effect? Or is that still, is that different from what you saw in the internal agency model?
0: You know, I think that would be a little different um, just because it is, external. Um,
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that one. Yeah, just to kind of differentiate those two, because in my mind when I saw this, I was like internal agency or external agency seems similar, um, but really you're focusing here on kind of an an agency that's inside the organization that's kind of just responding to requests by the rest of the teams.
0: Exactly. And then the final team was CEO-led. And so this is a team where Um, It's actually not typically a team. It's actually (laughs) one person most of the time. They tend to be much smaller. Um, And this is really where the CEO is often uh, the founder and the communications person is really tasked with doing PR for that individual as well as for the organization as a whole. They tend to be... The least confident in their skills, the least effective and mature overall in what they're able to accomplish, not very strategic, a lot of sort of running around. Um, So, what I encourage people who find themselves in this role now to do is to really try to get out of it, (laughs) to grow out of uh, that position, and to really try to get more strategic instead of just responding to what the CEO's greatest new idea of the week is. There's a lot of that in these sorts of teams.
1: Yeah, no, and I've seen various, what I loved about this, and I think why it stood out, is as I've worked with nonprofits over the years, I've seen various versions of each of these, and the effectiveness or kind of uh, my observations of those organizations have been very in a line with kind of where you guys ended up, where you know those integrated, centralized teams are much better fit to drive success for the organization's goals versus the other two, even though the other two kind of seem like good ideas on the surface or maybe easier to kind of manage and handle, especially maybe from a board looking in or an executive director trying to build something internally, um, it does kind of not play out as well um, as you scale or as you grow, um, especially.
0: Right. And, you know, we also, like I said, asked about job satisfaction. And I think, you know, some people might argue, well, that's not a measure of effectiveness. We don't really care whether people like their job or not. But uh, I would argue that in the nonprofit sector, it's actually really important, because if people don't like working at your organization, they're going to leave. And we certainly know from the fundraising field as well as communications that when you have high turnover, you're losing that expertise, you're losing that mastery, and you're starting over from scratch all the time. And you're just not going to get anywhere quick. So really trying to keep your staff and let, letting them grow in the job and mature your organization is actually really important and very strategic. And um, like I said, those the first two teams have much higher job satisfaction rankings. Yeah, and if anyone
1: thinks that job satisfaction isn't important or turnover isn't an issue in a nonprofit, just Google that and take a look at the stats <laughs> and the cost behind that. Yep. I had a earlier podcast and I'll, I'll try to include that link below as well on that. And we dove into this idea of like turnover cost. And that if you really run the numbers, it's the most expensive thing that you could, like it's a really, expen- or it's kind of a, a giant expense area that nonprofits almost overlook and just assume it's fine. Um, but kind of forget that there's a cost, um, a physical cost, like an actual monetary cost, but also kind of an emotional brand loss to the organization as well. But that's a separate, that's for a separate conversation. Um, but yeah, no, that was really helpful. And I, I, again, if you're interested in this and want to dive into these any further, you can download the report included in the show notes. Um, and, Kiwi and our team dive into that and so much more in this report. It's such a great report. We all our team here at Cosvox always look forward to getting a copy of it because it really helps us figure out how we can serve teams better as we kind of uh, craft strategies to do that as well. And I know your team uses it for the same reason, Kiwi. Mm -hmm. Um, As we head into kind of as we close and as we really head into 2017, I know I mentioned this at the beginning, but many nonprofits we talk to are really thankful for a new year. But kind of nervous about kind of the ever-changing landscape, especially online. Uh, just as we close, any kind of practical advice you would give fundraisers and communication staff as they are planning for the year ahead?
0: Well, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the exact same thing I said last time. But
1: <laughs> that's okay. Um, we won't hold it against you.
0: <laughs> really try to focus on a few things that you really want. You want to be really, really good at. The, the The default ends up being just okay at a lot of different stuff uh, just because there's so many choices in communications and fundraising today because of the online world and how much that's changing. But you really dilute your focus and energy that way. And it's really much harder to get anything really done. So you know I say just pick a couple of things that you really want to get good at this year. And devote the majority of your time to those, whether it's a particular communications channel or a new audience that you're trying to reach. Really focus in.
1: Absolutely, and I it almost is like you knew a new uh, piece of content we're producing that's coming out very soon. It's kind of it's it's all about why focus wins, and so that's I a did. great great promo, even though you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I didn't so that know that, but that's coming out because uh, we works. think it's that's so great. important too, and you know, we've. Yeah, focus really can help you win, especially in an environment like this where everyone's telling you the world's changing, really focusing in. So that's that's great advice, Kivi. Uh, that's why we love having you because you always have practical advice along with insights that you know our listeners can really take away and apply to their teams, how they're thinking about communications, how they're engaging with their supporters, how they're communicating to their board. So thank you so much for what you do for our nonprofit community and thanks for coming back on the podcast. We're so grateful.
0: Absolutely. Anytime.
1: Okay. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, Kivi. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Rally and Engage. You can find other episodes on iTunes or on our website at cosvox.com slash podcast. While there, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Reviews are extremely helpful and will ensure the show gets seen by other nonprofit leaders. We'll be back next week with another guest who is serving in the trenches. We'll see you then.